Welcome in everyone to the Talking Tide podcast. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. I am joined by Travis Ryer, the senior analyst at BamaOnline.com and the radio host of Southern Fried Sports, which you can catch at 100.9 FM in Tuscaloosa weekdays, 11 to noon. The Talking Tide podcast available at Podbean.com. That's our web host. It's available there first. Also followed by various apps including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. The Twitter feed, talking underscore Tide. We always drop uh, immediate links to the podcast following uh, our recordings here. And Travis, uh, Alabama, uh, looking at their final home game of the season. Season's kind of flown by. The Western Carolina Catamounts come to town. Uh, losers of eight games in the SoCon. Not exactly the kind of game that's going to give – the Crimson Tide, any sort of a boost in these uh, much-talked-about CFP rankings? No, this isn't one of those. Uh, do have Auburn, as we know, a week from Saturday down on the Plains. The key for this Alabama team right now, which if you you already wonder if, if it hasn't passed the tipping point in terms of injuries. And obviously, Tua Tonga-Vailoa is headlining that group now. But going back to August with Dylan Moses and Josh McMillan and you've seen LeBron Ray and then most recently Tua, of course. But in addition to that, this defensive line with Raquan Davis, uh, Fedarian Mathis, DJ Dale going out there the last couple of days to the media viewing periods, Chase, you might need that program. You know, you won't need a program for a lot of the seniors and, a, and even a handful of juniors that are expected to be making their swan song appearances at Bryant-Denny Stadium on Saturday morning. But uh, where this defensive line is concerned, you might need to, to brush up a little bit on some of the names. Yeah, I wouldn't expect to see any of these questionable guys on the field. I, I, I don't know why they wouldn't sit until the Auburn game. Uh, Dale Mathis, you mentioned, Raquan Davis, Henry Ruggs with uh, a set of bruised ribs. So uh, play, all the reason in the world for those guys to take a week off, especially rugs as deep as they are at the wide receiver position. Uh, so uh, I think we're going to, I think we're going to see a lot of faces, like you said, uh, shuffled in and out of there relatively quickly. And, and speaking of injured players, uh, Josh McMillan, uh, it looks like, Per Nick mm-hmm. Saban is going to be looked at as a medical red shirt and maybe come back for 2020. And for a kid like that who hadn't gotten on the field a ton and was set to finally break through and, and be a regular starter in 2019, it gets jerked out from underneath him before the season even gets underway. You like to see that final opportunity for a, a kid like that. Yeah, a good program sort of presence. Uh, you, you've heard that term used before, program guy. Well, that's been Josh McMillan, and that really was the shame of his injury. Um, you know, back in the preseason, because he he absolutely was in a position where you know he was going to play a lot of football in his fifth and final year in the program. Uh, goes down with the knee injury, uh, but it does sound like, again, based on what you heard Nick Saban say in his Wednesday evening news conference, that uh, a sixth year for Josh McMillan could be in the offing. And with the situation being what it is right now at inside linebacker, even with all the work that you've been able to get Shane Lee and Christian Harris, uh, you'd love to have uh, a veteran presence in that room to go with these still developing young guys and uh, a leadership figure on top of all that. 
College football playoff standings, we touched on uh, this game obviously being of no help. If anything, it probably hurts Alabama to be playing Western Carolina, but uh, no real movement in the rankings this week. We did not have a chance to address uh, the CFP situation in our Sunday night podcast when we recapped the, the Mississippi State win and, of course, the tongue of Aloha injury. But LSU at the top, of course, Ohio State also 10-0, and number two, Clemson at 11-0 and at number three, Georgia at four, Alabama five, Oregon six. So uh, status quo pretty much, Travis, and, and uh, on the minds of a lot of Alabama fans foremost right now, what kind of help does Alabama need? And they had a chance for some help last week. It did not materialize. We talked about that, I think, last weekend. Alabama could have used an Auburn win over Georgia. It did not happen. They could have used a Baylor win over Oklahoma. That nearly happened. The Bears ran out to a fat lead, I think a 28-3 lead. And the uh, Sooners, led by former Alabama quarterback Jalen Hurts, come storming back. Uh, to take that one and hand Baylor its first loss of the season. In your opinion, Travis, with with the Georgia win and the Oklahoma win last week, how much did that close the CFP window on Alabama? Yeah, a little bit. You know, it doesn't seem like the the Cellcom really put a ton of value in that Oklahoma win over Baylor, uh, as we had seen going into that game. Not a lot of love for the Baylor Bears. I mean, Baylor was undefeated going into that game last Saturday night and was still ranked behind two, not one, but two, two-loss SEC teams. So didn't seem like Oklahoma got a lot of juice out of that. Now, Oklahoma still got a couple of opportunities coming up. Uh, I guess TCU, Oklahoma State, perhaps a rematch with Baylor in a Big 12 championship game. If you're an Alabama fan, you wouldn't have a problem with Oregon laying an egg in the desert Saturday night as the Ducks travel to Arizona State uh, to take on Herm Edwards Club out there in Tempe. So that's one you're going to want to keep an eye on. You, you need Georgia, obviously, to lose at some point. You know, if, if, if it happens Saturday against Texas A&M, that's fine. But what you don't need is Georgia to then bounce back and beat LSU in the SEC championship game. So, uh, I think timing is kind of a, the essence when it comes to a, a Georgia law. So, you know, those are the type of things that are still out there. Utah is on the road at Arizona. I don't see Utah losing to a bad Arizona team. Um, but that's kind of where it sits. You, you, and, and just for the sake of uh, secure, you know, uh, uh, making sure that OU's not a real presence at the end of this thing, you'd be fine with OU taking another loss at any time here. Yeah, an OU loss definitely would, would give that Alabama boost. They probably do need a shake-up somewhere along the way in the Pac-12, like you said. Uh, maybe either Utah or Oregon catches a loss but then turns around and takes that title game. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot a lot can still happen for, for Alabama to sneak in there, although uh, had they gotten help from either Baylor or Auburn last week, they'd be sitting a little prettier right now. Yeah, they would. Um, you know, Auburn didn't tumble a ton in taking that loss to Georgia, I believe, what, down to 15 now. Uh, but what didn't help Alabama either was you kind of thought maybe A&M would show up in the top 25 this week. That didn't happen. 
kind of worked to Utah's benefit that USC actually was in the uh, top 25 in the CFP ranking. So it's a television show. It's a week-to-week television show. Doesn't really matter until that final show, the Sunday after the conference championship games. But can sort of denote and, de- and, and, and detect trends and where this thing might be headed. And a real long narrative right now is that, you know, Alabama is just kind of holding there in that five spot. And even if Georgia loses to LSU Atlanta, that one loss Pac-12 champ, if it comes down to it, is going to, to in the likelihood of a lot of people, uh, have a chance to, to hurdle Alabama and, and, and jump into that four spot. And the alternative of Alabama not making the CFP for the first time since its inception, Travis, what do you see as, as Alabama's bold destination, most likely bold destination, if they don't end up making this four-team field? Well, you would think the Sugar, um, you know, because the SEC champion is going to be headed to the CFP, um, it, it, you know, it, it, in that in that way, uh, I kind of saw it last year that way with Georgia going to the Sugar. I think the Orange Bowl is also a possibility uh, for Alabama. That's what you see mostly to this point. But you know, it's fascinating because if if Alabama finishes this season even at eleven and one but doesn't get an invite to the college football playoff, it'll be the first year, right, since 2013 that uh, Alabama doesn't win a championship of some kind, whether it's a division championship, a Southeastern Conference championship, or a national championship. 2014 won the SEC. 15 uh, won the SEC, won it all. 16 won the SEC, lost in the national championship game. 2016. 17 sort of backdoor the CFP that year won national championship last year SE champion so uh, there's a five-year run here not only of college football playoff appearances but championships in each of those five years also remarkably Nick Saban made note of this a, a week or so ago at 11 and one Alabama will have I believe nine straight years of yeah. having either one or no losses in the regular season uh, last time they lost more than one on the regular slate would have been that 2010 season uh, when they dropped three games including a, a road game against South Carolina which kind of started the slide for that team but ever since then Travis either a either a bagel or a one in the loss column in the regular yeah. season that's really remarkable. It is, and you know, we talk about this five-year stretch of championships of some sort. They've won twelve or more in each of those five years. So, uh, eleven. Uh, yeah, you, you obviously want to get to that sort of number in, in regards to what Saban has has talked about. But you know, there's there's twelve wins to, that you're trying to sort of extend on to. Not a whole lot of news on the Tuatunga Loa front since we last podcasted, although uh, it was released by the university that he was flown to Houston for hip surgery. I believe that happened on Monday. It was reported to be a successful surgery. The prognosis for his future still undetermined, uh, but uh, the hip was 
uh, put back into place in the stadium. And so obviously there was some sort of a complication for a, a surgery to be necessary in Houston and, and Alabama fans and, and all the NFL, frankly, kind of waiting with bated breath to see what the next steps are for this kid. Yeah, you know, it, it, it sounds as if it went as well as could be hoped. But I spoke with Dr. David Chow on Southern Fried Sports earlier in the week on the radio program. He was a 17-year team physician for the Chargers when the Chargers were in San Diego. And that avascular necrosis is sort of the after effect that you worry about. Uh, it has to do with the blood flow in that hip and that femur area. You know, and, and with the surgery and the type of injury that Tua had, you know, that's that's the thing to monitor moving forward. If, if that isn't a, a, a complication or a major complication uh, and the time frame that we've seen outlined uh, by Adam Schefter of ESPN and I guess some others uh, that maybe in three months he's he's into, you know, non weight bearing sort of work, maybe on that uh, on that weightless uh, uh, treadmill. That they've got over there. Anti-gravity. Uh, Anti-gravity yeah. treadmill. Yeah. Anti-gravity. Yeah. Anti yeah. <laughs> um, they might, you know, look, you know, and, and, and right on time, right? You know, there's, it's November and we, we see these nameless front office execs who have concerns about Tua's prospects. Well, let's check back with them in February, you know, if Tua's moving around pretty good. You know, it's, it's, we got so far to go, assuming that Tua does make that jump to the NFL. Um, we got time. He's got time. Now, is, is, is it reasonable to think that before the 2020 NFL draft, he'll be able to do much on the field work relative to his position? Probably not. But you're going to look, you know, this. You, know, you, you go to the combine every year, you deal with NFL people on a daily basis. By the time March rolls around, at the latest, they're going to have a very good idea at how he's trending with this injury, right? They will, and, and not only that, but it's not like there's not plenty of tape. There's a ton of tape on him. That's oh, not the a tape concern. is there. Yeah, uh, the measurables. Look, they're not going to be able to get measurables at the combine like I'm sure they would want to, but that doesn't mean they're not available. Uh, keep in mind, you've got underclassmen running for scouts now, kind of on the down low. Uh, the the year yeah. before the year before the pro days, I'm sure too has participated in some of that. So I don't think all, any of that's much of an issue. Really, what it's going to come down to is the long term prognosis for Tua Tungavaloa, uh, based on 32 different team doctors and and their assessments of what they see in that medical file. And we've talked about it before. Uh, opinions can vary uh, on these injuries, not just hips, but knees and ankles and elbows and backs and everything else. Uh, a guy with an extensive injury history who's a draft prospect, uh, one team can, can look at that file and classify the kid as a risk, a long-term risk. Uh, and by that, I mean uh, they can classify him as a guy who they don't expect to have a lengthy NFL career. And, and another doctor can look at the same medical file and totally green light it. So a lot goes into play in this kind of thing. And, and uh, the, the old axiom is all it takes is one team uh, yeah. th th that's green lit the, the medical file to, to fall in love with a guy and, and, 
you know, the, the, the draft pick is, is super high. And another factor in all this, Travis, too, that, that, that no one can – this is an X factor here that nobody even really knows anything about is what kind of insurance situation does Tua Tungavaloa have? Does he have that loss of value insurance? Does he not? Yeah. All these things kind of come into play when, when the decision gets made. I don't, I don't know how he could not have it going into this season. I, I think, I believe it's a $10 million max, um, you know, for a guy in his, you know, that, that rates as he would as a projected draft pick for 2020. Um, so whereas that, that's a nice chunk of change in terms of total value of contracts that he could be looking at, should his health allow for it, it it's a fraction, you know, I mean, so, um, you know, I, that, that, it, it's, it's the thing with Tua is, you know, it, it, undoubtedly in terms of his quality of life, well down the road, it's going to be an issue. I mean, it, it's, it's considered a slam dunk that at some point down the road, he's going to have an arthritic type situation. You're probably going to require a hip replacement at some point down the road, but you just touched on it. If you're an NFL team, the trick is. For you, you know, if you're looking at this guy as a first round pick, uh, can, can, can you see a 10 year window for him, a 12 year window? And that, that thing that you just talked about with every staff, every medical decision being different, Nick Saban knows something about that, doesn't he? Drew Brees yes, with that does. shoulder, yes, the does. Miami Dolphins. <laughs> you know, he might still be coaching the Miami Dolphins if his, uh, if his team doc would have signed off on Drew's shoulder, huh? I don't think he's ever quite forgiven that Dolphins. <laughs> no, 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 not quite. They're not. He's not taking that Miami team doc to Joe Stone Crabs down there on South Beach anytime soon. He's not slapping a stamp on a Christmas card for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm told Nick. I'm told Nick still gets uh, angry like it was yesterday if you bring that up to him. You know, <laughs> he's been known yeah. to harbor that anger. You know, harbor it. For- Lengthy periods. Yeah, sometimes he struggles with letting go. Yeah. Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in. Travis Ryer and Chase Goodbread going to take a quick time out to thank a couple of sponsors before we continue on here. Starting with North River Dental Associates, the charter sponsor of the Talking Tide podcast, former Alabama football player Dr. Jack Smalley and his professional staff of dental hygienists can do every kind of dental work there is whether it's porcelain veneers, cosmetic dentistry, pediatric dentistry, laser dentistry, teeth whitening services, whatever you need, dentures, dental implants, they do it all. Uh, the phone number is 752-3506. You can also make an appointment at NorthRiverDentist.com. And if you're just in there to get your choppers cleaned up, uh, as I think Travis is going to be going soon to make his uh, twice annual sit, uh they're going to get you in and out of there in less than an hour pretty much every time. It's a great experience. North River Dental Associates, conveniently located off of McFarland Boulevard. As you head toward Northport, you just make a, a quick dip onto Watermelon Road, and you'll see Fairfax Park right there 
on your right-hand side uh, by, by West Alabama Pediatrics. Easy to find and the best place for sure to get your dental work done. It's North River Dental Associates. Also, thanking Session Cocktails and Spirits, Tuscaloosa's newest cocktail bar at 2221 University Boulevard in downtown Tuscaloosa. Now, uh, owner and proprietor Hunter Wiggins, been a bartender in Tuscaloosa for a while. He's been in a couple of places. He's got his own spot now, and he's doing a fantastic job with it. He's put together a collection of the most talented bartenders around. They're going to make the same drink the same way, night after night after night. If you find one you like, it's going to taste the same no matter when you go in, no matter what day of the week, and no matter who's making it. They're going to get it right every single time. They've got an outstanding list of wines, beers, domestic beers, craft beers, but I tell you, the signature cocktails is the way to go. It's a deep menu, also a happy hour menu. You just can't beat it. And that whiskey selection, we'll touch on that one more time as well. If you're a whiskey fan, there is no better place to go in Tuscaloosa. They've got somewhere around 20 American whiskeys. They've also got a Canadian whiskey, an Irish whiskey selection, a Scotch whiskey selection, even a Japanese whiskey. They do it all down at Session Cocktails and Spirits. I'm going to tell you about another place there, a couple places there in downtown Tuscaloosa. You know, we talk so much about Brick and Spoon as far as breakfast and brunch and lunch goes, and all the options that we've discussed here on the program are outstanding. There's no doubt about it, whether it's the omelets, whether it's the build-your-own Bloody Marys, uh, those shrimp and grits that I'm obviously a big fan of, uh, French toast, the Amer- all-American breakfast. If you just like bacon, eggs, grits, they can take care of you from that standpoint as well. But the social media timeline a couple of days ago produced this beauty, Blackened Redfish Tacos Oof. at Brick and Spoon, downtown Tuscaloosa at Timerson Square. So, uh, yes, my interest has been peaked, and it is another one of those home games in which you got 11 a.m. kickoff. So what better way? You hit Brick and Spoon as soon as the doors open at 7 a.m. on Saturday. You're at Brick and Spoon. You're getting that that great breakfast that you want. You're uh, getting that pregame started with maybe one of those Bloody Marys. No better option Saturday morning for Alabama, Western Carolina than Brick and Spoon, downtown Tuscaloosa at Timerson Square. Also want to tell you about maybe you're coming out of the game Saturday and you're looking for a place to watch the afternoon games. You want to catch maybe that Texas A&M Georgia game. You've got the night games that you're going to have. Uh, you're going to have, uh, some good ones in that regard. So heat pizza bar, you know, get by there after the game on Saturday, full bar, great pizzas, a great place just to sort of relax and then take in those afternoon and evening games there at heat pizza bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at government Plaza chase. You mentioned Dr. Jack Smalley. I was in there on Tuesday already to get the, uh, to get the cleaning done. And as is typically the case, Dr. Jack, uh, he, he wanted to talk about that ticket man. He loves that ticket man, you know. And, uh, you know, you saw Tua Tagovailoa earlier on Wednesday tweet out uh, something to the effect that y- he may be there Saturday. Ticket man probably likes that tweet from Tua on Wednesday because it's already going to be a tough week, but it might help him a little bit, right? 
if Tua is going to show up in some form or fashion for the game Saturday, maybe that gives the ticket man a little bit of a boost. The ticket man's going to be using those Western Carolina tickets for kindling, I think, I'm afraid. No, I don't care if he still, shows up in a, in a, yeah. uh, in a horse-drawn carriage. I, I think yeah. there's, I think A Pope-mobile. <laughs> Maybe they'll have him in a Pope-mobile to a, wheel <laughs> him out there in it. Plexiglass, you know? Yeah. 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 I think the ticket man's still in Aruba after that LSU game. He probably went down there for a month, you know? The ticket man. Now, he'll come back because the Tuscaloosa-Alabama ticket man – you know, the, those Alabama fans going to Auburn, they all like those lower bowl tickets that the Alabama section is in, in, at the Auburn game when it's on the Plains. So he, he can do okay on those. You know, the, the, the Alabama fans, they like to be in that in that end zone to the corner there at Jordan-Hare, and that's where the ticket man gets them on those, uh, on those seats, yeah. Yeah, ticket, ticket man's had a rough year. The LSU game obviously recouped a lot of <laughs> losses for the ticket man, and yeah. Uh, definitely uh, down at the, the, the Auburn ticket man is is going to do well, of course, as always on the Plains this year. But uh, yeah, th- those those WCU tickets, I, I think they're going to be uh, um, they're going to be you know used what, the, for the, anything but going into that game. The, the ticket man didn't like Tua going down though for that Auburn game. No, you know, no, that, that, didn't. that didn't help him either. Uh, even it lost some juice from the Alabama perspective. You know, a lot of, a lot of Alabama fans were ready to go down there with Tua. maybe not as much with Mac Jones, you know, yeah. uh, an absolutely brutal sec schedule this week. So we're, we're just going to blow right by the, the sec look around. You've got Tennessee and Missouri, Arkansas and LSU, Texas A&M, and Georgia. Those are the only three league versus league games. Uh, the rest of them, non-conference games that uh, more or less should all be blowouts. I guess the most competitive-looking game on this board is is Tennessee at Missouri, a game that's not going to draw much of any interest outside of those two fan bases, Travis. No, but from a bowl perspective and thinking where Tennessee was – what a month into the season and how this thing is turned around under Jeremy Pruitt in the second half of the season. Uh, I, I didn't expect this to be the case for Tennessee. So an opportunity here for Tennessee to really sort of solidify a situation that, that you couldn't have envisioned a month and a half ago, Missouri kind of the other way, you know, there was a time when you could certainly envision Missouri going into the month of November with one loss and in a good place and then Missouri goes on the road to Vandy and Kentucky and drops games. Didn't get any better last week at home against Florida in a loss there. So, yeah, that one is the proverbial two programs going in opposite directions here at the end of the season. Any shot at all with A&M on the road at Georgia? You know, I think there is because Georgia has shown a propensity uh, for, for playing these bump and grind games, Chase. They like these 21-14, 24-17 kind of games. Uh, and, and, and with that, you just, you know, you wonder, like with what we saw against South Carolina, you know, you let teams hang around. And, uh, you know, te- Texas a and is a better team than South Carolina and has a difference maker uh, in Kellen Mond. And uh, seems to be trending in a good direction offensively. Isaiah Spiller, the true freshman running back. Um, but this is a real gauge game for A&M because the last time we really saw A&M was 
gosh, it's been a month, right? When Alabama went to college station. So this is a check-in game with A&M. They've won some games. Uh, they put themselves in position to, you know, go to a middling type bowl, but between the trip to Athens this week and then Baton Rouge right behind it. Yeah. We're going to get a lot better idea how much, if any, uh, this team has improved here over the second half of the season. Before we get out of here, Travis, we'd be remiss not to mention Alabama's forthcoming men's basketball game Wednesday, 1.30 p.m. Uh, uh, next week, I guess it'd be Paradise Island, Bahamas, and that tournament out mm-hmm. there against those North Carolina Tar Heels, uh, an ESPN broadcast. Uh, we're going to see, and that's actually Alabama's next game, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, they just took care of uh, business against Furman, 81 to 73 to improve to two and two on the season. North Carolina, though, uh, it's one of those games, as they like to say, Travis, you get a chance to get exposed, right? Yeah. You don't know how you look till you get your picture took a wise man once told me and, uh, North Carolina, I'll take your picture for you. Although, I think we have a pretty good idea of, of, of where this Alabama team is four games in. And, you know, you've had some injuries. You've had the situation with Javon Quinterly not getting his eligibility uh, waiver approved and granting him immediate eligibility. So it's sort of a condensed roster. I thought that was a nice win over Furman on Tuesday night. That's a solid mid-major in the Purple Paladins. But no doubt, the stakes go up considerably uh, down in paradise next week, you're going to have a great point guard matchup. Cole Anthony, the true freshman point guard for North Carolina is a future NBA player. Kyra Lewis for Alabama. You know, this is a game for Kyra Lewis. We talk about it from the football perspective a lot, you know, an opportunity to really show next level people, you know, what you're about and, and sort of how you can project to the NBA. That's what Kyra Lewis is going to have the opportunity to do against, uh, against Cole Anthony in, in Carolina next week. Travis, the, the three-point update on the Crimson Tide, the number is 28, uh, averaging 28 attempts a game and shooting 28% on those 28 three-pointers yeah. per attempt. So. Yeah, it's, uh, they, you know, that's uh, what we've talked about. Nate Oates likes them shooting them, but he likes them making them yeah. even better. So, uh, you know, I thought Jaden Shackelford, though, the freshman against Furman, Gave them such a nice lift there in the first half. 14 first half points. He goes for 25 in the game. Still too many turnovers. I mean, if you turn it over 22 times against North Carolina, um, you're going to lose by at least 22, I think. Is the early launch, you know, getting that three off early in the shot clock, that's a way to hold turnovers down, theoretically. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I've always said I'll take a missed shot over a turnover every day of the week. And, uh, you know, because at least you had a a chance with with the shot going up. But it's been a bit of a struggle. You know, and, and again, you've got some injuries right now, some inconsistency in the shooting. You know, John Petty continues to be a little bit up and down. He did have 16 on Tuesday night, so that was a positive. You know, Herbert Jones is not a guy that's going to shoot for a percentage from outside. You know that. Um, Shackelford can shoot it. Kyra can shoot it. Um, but what Nate Oates is looking to get to big picture-wise is where all five guys on the floor can shoot it. And, uh, you know, that's where even a guy like Alex Reese, he's got to pick it up from outside because he is one of those big, sort of like a Euro big, uh, who can get in, in, into some hot streaks where, 
you know, he's knocking down the three-point shot. Yeah, only about 11 minutes for Reese, and that went over firm, and I thought that was a, a, a low number for him. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. For Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports Radio, I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Covered Television. Be sure to join us for the Sunday Nighter uh, this coming weekend as we recap Alabama's game against Western Carolina. We'll talk to you then right here on Talking Tide.